0: This week on the Explorinate podcast, I sit down with Chris Park of Arkin Games, and we speak about AI War 2 and a lot of his other games, so stay tuned. Hey Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Glad to have you because it's been a while. We last spoke back in 2015 when you were working on a game called Stars Beyond Reach. And I know a lot has happened since then. So let's talk about it. How you been?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's been up and down. I mean, honest answer there. It was falling down the stairs for about four years straight is what it felt like. And things are great now. Yeah, the project that just came out. AI War 2 was not something that was even on my radar last time we spoke. So it's been quite a ride. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that ride. I know you guys have probably,
0: I'd say, put out at least three games since then, at least three or four maybe. Can you tell me which
1: ones those were? Yeah, we were we were working on Stars Beyond Reach, which was a 4X game. That didn't pan out for a variety of reasons. I just could make the design work. And so we... Decided to, um, you know, the the market was really shifting with Steam back there in uh, 2015. We'd had, like, a killer 2014. And, uh, you know, so we'd had a ton of cash to work with for developing out a 4X title. And we burned through all of that, about 18 of us at the peak working on that title. So then we had to scale back and work uh, with a smaller team of, like, 12 maybe on... um, game called Starward Rogue, which was uh, like roguelike kind of shmup, more or less. So that came out in early 2016. And players really loved it. Critics completely ignored it. It's done awful in terms of sales. And so another big layoff after that, we started working on a couple of different Things at that point. Uh, there was some more work on Stars Beyond Reach uh, with Keith Lamont, Lamont as the uh, lead designer at that point, taking over from me. Um, he worked on that for a good half year. That didn't really work out for him either. Um, I was working on a game that was called In Case of Emergency Release Raptor, which is like an action roguelike, you know, dinosaur. you play as a dinosaur versus uh, robots. I released kind of an early slightly tech demo version of it. Didn't have as much content in there as enough for people to really get the idea. They kind of felt like, oh, this is an animal that you play as. It must be like Goat Simulator, I guess. And it was not like Goat Simulator. And that came out in kind of, I guess, August 2016 and did so badly That actually pulled it from the Steam store, refunded everybody and just made it a free tech demo for everybody to look at. And then we said, Oh my, and decided to go back to the well of AI war two, ran one Kickstarter, which did not fund, ran that for 300,000, did not get there. Uh, got to like a hundred or so ran another Kickstarter a month later for 50, got to a hundred again. That was, uh, you know, therefore a success that was going to be a one year project. It turned into a three year project. It was a huge money sink and wasn't really, um, that well for a large part of that portion a year uh, of that period. A year ago, we finally went to early access it was, you know, in pretty good shape, but just needed a lot of feedback and, uh, thoughts from, you know, testers and, you know, the whole point of early access, it was a solid game, but it just, still wasn't like exceeding the first one or anything. And um, so we spent a, uh, a year in early access, you know, collapsed all the way down to just me as um, actual staff. We still have some contractors that come and go. And then we've got some volunteers um, that have you know, appeared in the last two years. And then um, in the last month we've actually released AI War Two, and that has been like, major turning point, like return to form in terms of actually, you know, making a living. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been, it's been quite a, it was, um, it was, it was, uh, oh, I don't even know north of 20 months of straight losses, like five figure losses for 20 months straight for me, I'd say. So it was, that was a rough period. (laughs) God, I
0: can imagine. So something I really like about you, Chris, is how open and honest you are about everything really in general. Like you just don't, you know, hold any punches back. And I think that's really cool of you because it kind of helps us get an inside view of what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And
1: And I appreciate that. And there's no point in kind of being around things. Some things work, some things don't. And you can't ever be known. Nobody can know you if you just kind of try and put on the best face with things. So yeah it's
0: hard to remember sometimes that like developers are people, <laughs> you know' right. cause, like especially nowadays with the i guess the the environment that we're in and this like weird I don't want to say that we're all like entitled, but a lot of us are entitled like we seem entitled we really want things, and we just expect you guys to deliver and you know it's really nice and and refreshing to see someone like you come on and talk about like the hardships and the frustrations and the oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore sometimes and I've always really appreciated that about you. So appreciate that. It.
1: Thanks. And I feel entitled too. incidentally when I'm, I can't remember what it was recently. There was some game that I was playing. I don't remember what it was, but I remember feeling very entitled about, you know, huh, it doesn't have blah, 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 blah that I want. Developer should be on that. (laughs) I was like, oh my! (laughs) It it doesn't stop just because you're a developer for you know ten plus years. It just never goes away. (laughs) We just all are conditioned to be that way. It doesn't doesn't matter if you're on the other side. Still feel it.
0: (laughs) It's strange too. I know that I I can see it, and when I look at it, I'm like, oh man, that's messed up. They shouldn't feel that way. They shouldn't be saying that stuff. And then I'll turn around and say stuff that I'm like, oh no, I am that person. Like, I'm yeah. just as entitled as everybody else. And it's, it is frustrating. Yeah, but I, I
1: think, I think we all are. I think it's, I think it's so culturally embedded that there's no escaping it. And I don't, it doesn't really rub me the wrong way. I know some developers get really bit out of shape about it. And there, there are sometimes when people come with a certain attitude where they are kind of like disrespectful in a way that's, How you would just treat another human, I guess, like not that they like not that I need like extra respect, but just basic respect you would give to somebody who's like anybody when there's entitlement that's kind of making you less than a person and treating you kind of like an object or, you know, some sort of public figure or something where you're like, this is not how humans interact. You know, you're treating me like I'm ATT and I owe you something. And it's like, I'm not ATT. Like, I'm not a giant multinational, you know, faceless corporation. Like, I'm this guy. And that can rub me the wrong way sometimes. Usually, that doesn't happen too much because as soon as you actually engage with people directly, then usually they turn around, even if they were kind of nasty up front. If you just don't engage with that part and just, respond to what they were really trying to say, then a genuine conversation actually comes about instead. Occasionally that doesn't happen. And there's this level of kind of arrogance or entitlement in a dehumanizing way that sticks around. And I just try and look past that and deal with whatever's going on, what they're asking for, or what they're saying and meet it on its merits. And those are the challenging cases. And that's rare. You know, that's like, yeah, you know, two out of a 500 sort of situation,
0: maybe. The loud minority, right? Yeah. So that brings the to question, too, because I, you guys at Ark and and I, I guess you're probably the mainstay here, right? You're the only employee now still of Ark and Yep,
1: that's me now.
0: And I know that, you know, throughout your history, you guys have done things where you and the people that you've employed in the past have done some really wild things, like you've tried to do unique things with games and you try different gameplay mechanics and different types of games and you know I think for the most part I feel like you've been pretty successful but I I know that you've said too you just mentioned that you've had some hard falls I guess but what would you say is the hardest for you like what, what what's been the most difficult for Arkan games or for yourself
1: well you know I'd say our, um, about half our stuff has done some degree of poorly whether that's on a financial sense. And the other half has done some degree of well. There's been a few, like, knock them out of the park, you know, really successful tent poles that have um, propelled us forward and let us weather the falls. And so, like, the first AI war, the last federation, a valley without wind won, those were the big tent poles. Now we've got AI war two, that's a new tent pole. One of the hardest falls was, I mean, we were riding really, really high after the last federation, you know, that had grossed, you know, north of, into the seven figures in this first year, I guess. And so that was a new high for us. It wasn't our top selling title ever, but it was our fastest selling title and certainly our most, most income in a a year. And actually it hadn't sold, I guess, combined our total stuff was into the seven figures for the first time in one year. So that was still with older residuals, but the big giant proportion of that was the last federation. I felt like I had this stable income and I could therefore employ lots of people and really get a lot of stuff done and go for, you know, really swing for the fences with this big giant Forex title that was going to do all this ambitious stuff, um, which was stars beyond reach. I put in about, I don't know the real number. I kind of stopped counting after about four hundred thirty thousand. It's a little higher than that, really, but about four hundred thirty thousand dollars into that title, and then the historical income, then you know that had you know the tentpole income that had been pushing stuff along, fell dramatically. I mean, it went to like a third of what it had been. And that was in 2015 when the steam green light really changed and there started being stuff flooding under the store. Things just, it was just a rug pull. You know, we had a certain amount of income that was predictable and then it went away. And then in 2016, you know, they went to like steam direct, I think it was or something, whatever they call it. That was another rug pull. Our income fell even further to like half of what it had been. And then they changed some algorithms around in late 2018 and our income fell by half again on like the old established products and so forth uh, year over year from the start of twenty seventeen to the start of twenty eighteen so it was just like, holy cow, like our you know past income uh stuff that was just kind of like paying for future development on things just kept disappearing and disappearing and disappearing, and so being you know, almost half a million dollars in on this giant Dream Project 4X game and then having the historical income get ripped away, a uh, little did I know that it was going to get ripped away even more later. That was probably the biggest kind of gut punch. Fortunately, a lot of the technology that we developed during that time was stuff that we kind of uh, rolled forward into AI War 2, you know, things that I had developed for in case of emergency release Raptor, you know, it was a gut punch, but a smaller one. Um, that was kind of a dream project of mine. Cause it's like, you know, I really liked the Jurassic park game for Sega Genesis back in like, I think 1992, 1993. And I wanted to do like a 3d version of that, but with dismemberment, but it's kid friendly. So it needs to be robots. <laughs> that you're dismembering, you know? So robots, robots versus Raptor because dismemberment, but no blood. So, so that was like exactly how that came about. about and I was like, yeah, and I'll throw in, you know, 3d procedural generation, like, but also handcrafted stuff. This will be awesome. But the market didn't see that. So I was like, Oh, okay, that really sucks. And so you know it was just kind of a series of gut punches there. And that whole period was just really hard because it was never at a point where ends were where where like ends were being met. It was just drawing down past income and savings constantly and then going into debt and then going into more debt and so forth. And that was uh really hard if I'd known certain things were coming, like that income was going to fall more and more and more. Well, I mean, I could have cut staff sooner and sooner, but I, it's really hard to like go, yeah, looks like our income may not be what we hope it's going to be in the future. I'm going to preemptively, you know, cut some people's jobs. That's just, ooh. So, you know, I've waited as long as possible and that made things even more difficult. But, I mean, things are good now. That was rough. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: And I'm not sure if you've seen or heard, but another indie studio recently, Abbey Games, the ones that did the Rose and uh, uh, renowned Explorers and now Godhood, they just announced yesterday that they're going to be scaling back and basically laying off almost everybody, (sighs) which was kind of a gut punch too, because they're they're doing some really cool, unique things as well. And when we last spoke, you were full speed ahead on stars beyond reach. And, you know, I don't think I was really allowed to say too much about it then, or maybe I didn't know about what was going on, but I, since then had been able to play it and see what was going on. And I was pretty involved in the beta testing. And I was really, I was, you know, it was, it was weird on one hand. I was like, wow, there's something here, but the other side was, it's not there yet. (laughs) Right. Right. So like, and I think that
1: was, it was a constantly chasing that where it was like, it was, information overload or not deep enough, one or the other. And I could never find a middle ground. That was so frustrating.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I know, again, it was really cool to see how open you were about it. You were always like, man, I I know there's a product here. I know there's a diamond here, but I can't, I can't chip away at it. I can't figure out where it is. And, you know, it was something that I could articulate too in some ways, but you were really w- much better at articulating. And You know, uh, maybe for the audience, if you wouldn't mind just helping me or describing the game, what, what the intention was behind stars behind reach.
1: Well, the idea was that, um, and it evolved several times. So this is not accurate for every version of it, but the core (laughs) idea was this kind of like a a hex based, you know, um, sort of like civilization where it's, you know, a uh, world map and you've got stuff that you move around in there. But I wanted it to be um first of all, you know, having multiple civilizations on there, but they're all alien races. So we had fourteen races and you'd play as like the humans, I think it was. I actually don't remember now. That's really sad. You played as a nondescript race, actually, I think. And the other races all had their own like unique buildings and so forth. But instead of civilization having like just a city with like buildings kind of in it. I wanted a little bit more of a city builder feel to it where you would construct buildings on the hexes and build like multiple cities and territories and stuff. But when it came to combat, I didn't want to have like a bunch of units wandering around on the map, like is in civilization. I wanted to have it be a little more like they pop out of buildings and run over to, you know, some other location on the map and fight and then move back or you know like a ship like whether it's flying or a boat whatever uh helicopter whatever it is comes out and flies over and does something and goes back and that was kind of based on some concepts from the like board game risk or from i even had like the uh, old old video game rampart in my head a little bit with you know how you'd kind of build up a castle and fire stuff like cannonballs from that. So there were a lot of kind of inspirations swirling around and reconciling all of those things together was hard. Um, I also really wanted to have the kind of uh, tales of woe, as it were of things like boat murdered that you get from like a uh, dwarf fortress where there's these like crazy stories of the empires that rise and fall and things that happen and et cetera, et cetera. So trying to build in like these, events that happened but not it not you being completely at the mercy of it in the fashion that we had in skyward collapse which is another older title 2013 title of ours that we did where you know you were really at the mercy of like these woes that would it, it would come by but instead here it was like events or things that were kind of based off of little story nuggets, so to speak that were based off of whatever's going on in your empire and it. It was a lot to take in. Um, and so, you know, we never really got to the diplomacy side of things. The tech tree was awesome. The building was really satisfying. The construction and city building portions were pretty satisfying. Combat in some versions was more satisfying than others. It was, it was okay. But I mean, diplomacy, you know, we never even really got to that. And the um, management of your empire, like not the construction of it, but the actual like management of it always felt a bit overwhelming. It was either like too depersonalized or too like in the weeds. That was, it was tough. It was really
0: tough. So from the beta, the beta test that I remember, the beta version that I was playing, I just remember there being so many choices. I was overwhelmed with choice. So there was a lot of things that you could evolve, you know, points that you could put somewhere or technologies that were you know, very different and new and unique to the game that I, I did remember feeling that, okay, well, this is beta, it'll all get solved, right? All this stuff, all this information overload will eventually figure itself out. And un- unfortunately, you know, I, I the, the long and short of it is that you you eventually come to the conclusion that this game isn't going to come out ever because it's just, you couldn't make it fun, in, in your own words, you couldn't make it the game you wanted it to be, so.
1: Right. I think, honestly, the latest Data versions were there, there was, there was something there that we were kind of getting at. That was uh that was fun and different, but in terms of information overload, it actually got worse at the end because <laughs> um, we added in all these little events and so on. It just, it got worse instead of better with that part aspects of the game got better, but a lot of aspects got worse. And I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe someday I will come back to it. I still, I mean, it's been four years and I still feel super burned out on that title. I don't feel enthusiastic about working on it. But I still I still want to play it, though. Isn't that weird? <laughs> like, I want to play it. And I remember the vision of it. And I want to play it. But I don't want to make it. And that's a weird place to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and it's something that I always... I tried to describe it as 4X meets City for a long time. Because that was an easy way yeah. to describe it, right? And it felt very much yeah. like I was... Building a city, but there were like these four X elements where I was like going through a skill tree, or I'm sorry, a research tree, and I was interacting mm-hmm. with other alien races and stuff like that. And yeah, it was. I could see where you were headed, and it sounded. It just seemed like it could be something really cool. And I mean, I I almost understood when you came out and you were like, "Man, I can't do this. Like, I can't do yeah. this." And and it I
1: felt like I had gone, you know, like too many new concepts at once, like. Maybe if I had had another several years, maybe if I'd had, had another couple million dollars or something that somebody wanted to, ha, 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 you know, to just, to just, <laughs> just throw, throw it away, <laughs> see if something comes out of it. Maybe, maybe not, you know, ha, ha, you know, that maybe something would have come out of it then. But with that sort of R and D process where it's so speculative, I don't even know. I, I mean, I honestly don't know like that anything would have come of it if we'd thrown you know, a bunch more money at it or time at it. Like, I I don't know. It's, and that's a weird feeling too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But I remember you saying that you like your passion for it had all but just completely gone away. So it was oh, yeah.
1: like... Oh yeah, it was miserable by the end. I mean, I was so excited about that project. But um, yeah, by the by the last, I don't know, six months or so, it was, it was clear... The end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where it's like the Holy Grail there. I mean, not that this was the Holy Grail, but it was the Holy Grail for me was like just out of reach. And it's just like, how many times do you? fall off the cliff and get grabbed by your dad and he pulls you up or whatever. You know, and whatever, Sean Connery. And, <laughs> and you like go, oh, I, you, 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 five more minutes. You know, let me, let me just try for five more minutes. Like, I, dude, I pulled you back up three times already. Like, <laughs> you know, how many times are we going to do this? You know, it's like, just let it go. And um, I was starting to kind of get that feeling.
0: <laughs> yeah, and who knows? Okay, it, Sean Connery. If, if it had been... You know, if you'd finished it and it, if it had done something for you, and it may have been a commercial success or not, you know, maybe AI War Two never happens when it did. And I yeah,
1: no, I don't. I don't think I would have ever done AI War Two because uh, prior to starting that project, and honestly, through most of that project, that was not a project I wanted to work on. I did not want to make AI War Two because uh, expectations felt sky high it seemed really like a dangerous prospect to to go there. And I did not want to go there. So if I'd had a, another major commercial success with another strategy franchise, are you kidding? I would've, it would have been a long time, if ever, before I went to AI War again. Whew. And we would have missed out on a great game because I think,
0: honest to God, I played almost every game of yours and AI War 2 feels like the perfect mix of of what I'd expect from Arkin, which is something unique and different. But now you've added a layer of accessibility that hasn't been in some of your games that really draws me in.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's been something that I, this again was a title. I was, I mean, as far back or as recently rather as this February, I was deeply unhappy with AI War 2. It was something that was, uh, you know, everybody was excited about the, potential of it and saying like, there's the, you know, there's the core of something really cool here. Like, and I see what you're doing and et cetera. And there was that sort of sentiment over and over again from everybody. And I'm like, yeah, I I get it. Like, I feel that way too, but it's not there yet. And it was there enough to like play around with sort of an early access, but we didn't exactly have a really, um, huge amount of engagement from players during early access it was a very low player count very low number of people really wanting to to play with it and we had our kickstarter people in and so forth but even they were like cool um i'll catch you a little later i guess
0: and <laughs> I, I admit that i was one of those guys <laughs> i kickstarted you and sure I, I remember i remember playing one of the earlier builds and i was like okay i can see where this is going but uh i'll come back
1: i'll come back in a little while <laughs> right and it yeah and it was like and that was fine, but it was a really clear message to me of like, okay, like you really have to do something like, and like just evolving it from where it was, wasn't going to cut it. And so I just, I mean, I was going through like divorce stuff at that point as well. And so I just, I couldn't work for about three months there in general, but I was also like stewing over the game during that period, just like had no motivation to get back to work. So it was just like, I am stuck. I don't know what to do. Like there's a trajectory this thing is on and I don't like it. Like it's, it's like the first game, but still has some of the same pitfalls. And people are asking me to put in some of the features that were in the first game that made the first one so complicated in the first place. But without those features, is it still AI war? And there's these just, it was like a, you know, just this kind of death circle of, you know, well it doesn't have these features but if i add these features it becomes stupid complicated again and but without these features it's lacking certain depth and there're certain just quality of life things that it was just like like relays and all these things like move ships around and you know conveniences with control groups and just long list of really complicated stuff that unless you're a hardcore ai war, ai war classic player it would take me 30 minutes plus to even explain what they are because they were that freaking complicated. And I did not feel excited about adding those back because I recognize those made the baseline skill, not skill, but whatever knowledge that you had to have to play the first one too high. It was a learning curve. that was just too high. I didn't like it. Didn't want it. And uh everybody was like, well, I don't know. I mean, you've got to add that or something. And I'm like, yeah, we're something, but I don't know what the or something is. And um, so finally, I just kind of hit a point in early March where I wrote up this big document. I was like, okay, we're doing these things. They're called fleets. This is what it's going to be like, blah, blah, blah. And um, everybody's like, okay. Some people were like, okay, I kind of see where you're headed with that. But it's like, you're taking out a lot of stuff, like build queues are going away. Like what? And all these things that were being taken out and like scouting is going away, but like, I mean, I don't really like the scouting in the first one, but it's like a major part of the game. Like, you know, how can you take that out? You know, there's a lot of concern about, you know, is this going to be dumbing it down? And, you know, a lot of people were kind of trusting that I knew what I was doing to a certain point, to a certain extent, but then they're like, well, you know, let's see how it is. You can always roll back, you know? And so I spent a month and a half or so working on it. And the first version came out ready for testing feedback. And I stated up front, I was like, there's a lot of stuff you can't do here. There's some things with managing fleets. The fleet management screen, for instance, was not there. And I was like, so you have to play with the pre-made fleets. Later on, you will be able to mix and match them. You'll be able to do this and that and the other, um, but you can't right now. And so let's see if this is fun, you know, from this point and what we need to refine and so forth. And for some people, they were like, yeah, I, I kind of see it. Um, this is this is funny enough, and I think it'll be really fun when it comes there. Some people absolutely hated it. And, were, um, and one of the volunteers was so demotivated by some of it after about a month of it being in that period. He was like, I don't want to volunteer anymore. I'm really sorry. I've been really involved, but this just isn't for me anymore. But what actually happened was he gave a really detailed list of the things that were bugging him. And I was like those are all fixable things. Like I, like that's ridiculously good feedback. And uh like, let me work on these things. And like not specifically just to keep him volunteering. It's like, if you feel like you need to go, then like go, like that's the nature of volunteering. Um, but I was like, thank you for the feedback though. Cause this was super useful. So um, you know, worked on, you know, things that had already been planned as well as that list of feedback from him. And then it was just suddenly starting to click for everybody over the summer. And they were like, oh yeah, this is, this is starting to be a thing. Like I see where this is like this. There was still like a uh, fleet's kind of stuff, kind of group that was there, but there was like a lot more people were on board. And then we, suddenly there was a bunch more people having feedback Um, in the last like three months. And um, there were a lot of really insightful things that just made it, so that those were like the final pieces that came together. And I also finally finished some of the last features that I had had in that original design document from March, but had never put in until that point. Cause I was like, well, if it's not fun without those features, I don't think it's fun enough. So I'm going to leave that to last. And then once all that started coming together, then it was suddenly like people were going, wow, this is accessible and this is just as deep. And, but I'm not spending a bunch of time, like, watching Netflix while I play or, uh, you know, the Netflix time as we called it, or, uh, you know, the learning curve is not ridiculous. Um, so that was very much a, um, of a lot of people's input, like without that being in early access, uh, and going through, the early access process, even though we had such low engagement in general during early access, we did start having a big uptick in it um, towards the last three months of it. Um, Without the early access process and the feedback, it wouldn't have turned out the way that it did, uh, not remotely. So um, if anything, that's a testament to like, The fact that early access, I know some developers have really abused it, but it exists for a reason, for real.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I love it when people use it to the betterment of the game, right? And I think, I mean, based on what you've said, it sounds like Yeah War 2, at least at the very end, had its, you know, run with a a good feedback period. And, you know, honestly, I, I have to say, like, I feel like you've knocked out, I've just hit a home run here, because for me... A lot of your games, like I said, a lot of your games were hit or miss. And some of the games I was like, yeah, I can see the fun here. And I had some fun with it, but it wasn't as maybe as uh, like a lengthy love spe- love period with it. But AI War 2, I keep going back to it. I'm having so much fun with it. And I I, I would have to say that I'm definitely firmly in the fleet's thumbs up group. Yeah, I, I, really, I really like what they've done to the game. And I went back and played the original AI War just to kind of see what was different and Yeah, having those production queues and having the Mm -hmm. control groups and stuff like that, it is a lot more, it would be a lot more confusing to someone who hasn't played it in a lot of time, right? So, oh,
1: yeah. And it's one of those things, it only gets worse the longer you play because as you capture like advanced factories or whatever, like on far off planets, then not only do you have build queues there, but you have to defend them way off. And you have to set up warp relays, which you assign the like advanced factory to route its guys to the uh, warp relay, which then warps them off to some other planet that you, (laughs) you it's like, my brain hurts already. (laughs) I know it's like Factorio or something except like inscrutable. And so it's just, you know, what you were reacting to is like the first, like an hour or two, but by the time you're in like hour 10 or 20 of a campaign, you know, it's like, Oh my God, this is like this giant production chain. Like, why is it this hard just to, get stuff moving around and um, yeah. And people were wanting those features back and with good reason, because if you don't have those features and you've got build queues, even they, even the kind of more streamlined ones that we used to have in AI war Two, you need something. But I was like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Like I'm not going to repeat that. That's just not okay. So, and I, thank you. I, I do feel like personally, my view of this is that, Finally, this is something that, like, it's been very frustrating for me. I've been at this for 10 years. Well, I mean, I've been a business for 10 years now. I've been making games, uh, you know, for 20 years and making mods and, and levels and all that sort of stuff for, you know, 25 years. But in terms of my professional career at this, I've been at it for 10 years now and my first game was the one that everyone was like, ah, oh, this is fantastic. You know, this is on the greatest strategy games of all time list and et cetera. We'll keep putting this on there. And nothing else I ever did ever was remotely considered for any list like that. Or So it kind of made me feel like, you know, well, how much of that was like me really knowing what I was doing versus just kind of getting lucky with a first shot. Like if you can't make another game that's – um superseding your first work especially after you've done like 12 games then where does that lead you like do you really know what you're doing then are you a kind of one hit wonder that's got a series of hits after that that just are kind of based on the fact that you're kind of already in you know you're already past the threshold so it's just uh, that's a unpleasant headspace to live in and um it's only in the last honestly month, month and a half that I've finally been like, okay, like, uh, managed to do that a second time. Like, okay, I, I feel like I can claim that I know what I'm doing, <laughs> that it wasn't like a cosmic accident. the first time.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Some sort of serendipitous cosmic gathering of great luck. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree because, you know, and I'm certainly not saying this to cut you down or anything like that, but I think just from the outside, you start to wonder like, all right, was this guy just Onto something with AI War, and then some of the other stuff doesn't fall through as well. But you, you've taken AI War now, and you've—I think—you've fixed it in ways that I wouldn't have imagined could have been fixed.
1: So yeah, it's a different game, really. It, it, but it's the same. It's weird. You know, I really didn't like what they did with uh, Supreme Commander Two versus Supreme Commander. It's a different game, but it's a different game versus like Total Annihilation to Supreme Commander a different game but it's the same game and that sort of evolution was what i was going for um instead but it is mechanically so much more different um that you know there's a small minority of people you know one percent or something like that that feel like it's supreme commander two type jump where um instead of um you know but um not that Spring Commander Two is not a good game. Uh, my dad and uncle actually prefer it to the first one and they love it. Um, but it's just too different from the first one for me to really enjoy personally. So it's like, you know, different strokes. But um it's been an it's been an interesting uh and I don't I don't take it uh, as a cut down or anything either.
0: No, it wasn't man is was one either. So it's just, you know, I I've, I've enjoyed watching you, I've enjoyed watching. I mean, like I said, we we spoke 5 years ago. I can't believe it's been 5 years. Lord, you are one yeah. of the first I, I think you might have been one of the first people we had on the podcast and now a lot's changed for both of us. I know that I took <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I actually ended up taking a step back from experimentate myself and you know, changed careers and stuff and I know that you've been through a lot personally as well and professionally so it's just wild to come back here in five years and be like wow like (laughs) things are looking up right yeah with ai war 2 being i mean by almost every standard every metric a a success what do you do here now so like are you just going to continue to fine-tune the base game now or are you going to look towards maybe starting some dlc work or what is it you're thinking
1: so the market is scary in a general sense for indie developers so um um, AI War 2 since it's doing well, that's definitely going to be the focus for a while, and that's going to be um, kind of a two-pronged thing, al- along the lines of what we did with the first game, where uh, the first game had six expansions over five years, I guess, um, and uh, we also did you know, massive amounts of like content and refinement and whatnot on the base game itself during that whole time. So even if you never bought an expansion, you got ridiculous numbers of upgrades. Um, over that five-year period. So we are working in design documents, working on um, the first DLC, which will come out sometime in uh, the first or second quarter of 2020. And that particular one encapsulates some Kickstarter, like, stretch goals. And so that'll be free for the Kickstarter backers and then just something that's a paid expansion for everybody else. But there's also a bunch of updates that are coming for free for everybody, including multiplayer and various other new engine features and uh, ship mechanics and so forth, things that are available to any mod or that sort of thing. And then uh, I'm not really sure exactly what we'll do. It may keep up pace of something like two expansions a year to, to not like go crazy with it. Keep it enough. I feel like the industry moves faster now. And I think we're, you know, averaging an expansion every three quarters before, the first game and things are faster with the industry now. So I'm feeling, like, well, maybe every two quarters is a little more appropriate now because eggs of the product are uh, you know, the long tail is less long now. And uh, there's been a lot of hunger for play- from players going, you know, I want like, you know, new and big like campaigns and this, that, and the other and the champions and all the various stuff that they want that are like really cool, big, new content things that we can do. And so. Um, we've built this giant engine. So let's work on that. And then beyond that, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if I want to self finance stuff anymore because it's been expensive and very, very challenging with that. I, I kind of want to find a good publishing partner and um, work with them and have a lot of cross platform and, and, in localized, you know, products, you know, part of me wants to build something that my kids can enjoy and, Maybe not under the Arkin Games uh, label. I don't know. Maybe just under a different label so people aren't, you know, thinking, oh, why isn't this like a strategy game or, you know, whatever it is? Why is this like kind of kids-oriented? You know, or maybe, uh, you know, I want to do something a little bit more sm- smaller and more focused in general that's, uh just runs on consoles as well as on, you know, all the various PC platforms. You know, part of me wants to do like some fairly realistic but also stylized, you know, like space combat in a gravity well and, you know, fuel matters and, you know, orbital mechanics and all of those sort of things. I think that could be really interesting. But it's slightly action-y by nature as well. So, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I've got a lot of – I mean, I have huge lists of ideas knocking around, but I don't want to – you know, right now it's going to be kind of – Air War 2 all the time for a while just because that's kind of finally brought some relief and people are excited about it and I'm excited about it at this point yeah
0: I mean so I'm not and this is something I even say in the review I'm currently writing for your game and it's basically just that I'm not really a real-time strategy game fan I I was when I was younger where I had maybe faster reflexes and The the ability to spend more time in figuring out how to do two things, period. Like having a strategy and and considering all the units and all that stuff. Whereas AI War 2 has helped me kind of fall back in love with it again. But in a way, like it doesn't feel terribly RTS. It feels much more grand strategy with RTS elements. Right. And I
1: really really like that. So I'm glad to hear. I'm old also. So (laughs) 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 I mean, that's where it comes down to is I don't, I don't feel like I have the interest or time to delve into a certain level of minutia it just doesn't interest me it did when i was younger in my yeah. 20s and my teens sure and i enjoyed some degree of micro then and certainly this game can be microed because there's some people that enjoy doing that but without taking that ability away from the people who feel like they just really need to do it or they're not doing it right I just wanted to, I really, um, started likening the fleets themselves to kind of almost like procedurally generated slash self upgraded, uh, chess pieces where you get to move those around and it's real time, but you know, stuff happens at speed that's not overwhelming where you need to click a ton and you can pause at any time, obviously, or speed things up. I, I, you know, I wind up, it's so funny because uh I wind up playing on like four X speed almost the entire time for speed times four, four <laughs> X <4X> speed. Um, <laughs> That's perfect. That, I like could mean that. <laughs> a, that could mean a couple of things. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and it's funny because I went up playing on essentially fast forward. I don't feel like waiting for anything and I just don't care about minor losses or whatever. So I'm playing on a bit lower difficulty, playing a little more fast and loose and just letting it go at four times the speed and then pausing and going, eh, what do I think now? And then just thinking about the big strategy and moving around my, my pieces and seeing how it goes. And that's a lot more enjoyable to me personally than playing at kind of the default speed, which is, in the originally AI wore anyway, um, and you can slow it down for people who want it to be really stately. they can play it on half speed or pause or whatever. um, because there are people who do enjoy like seeing things unfold in this Stanley Kubrick-esque sort of way where it's like, okay, the spaceship is flying across the 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 screen. All right, Kubrick, like what happens next? I always give my dad a hard time about two thousand and one a Space Odyssey because I'm like it's a lot of slow shots in that movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a brilliant description, to be honest. I, I want to go back to your chess piece analogy. That's amazing. I, that is actually a really good thing, because I, I, a really good way to, to describe it, because that's how it feels, right? Those fleets are so important to the way you play the AI War II and, and how you sort of chip away at the AI. I love that, chess pieces. I'm going to use that in my review, if you don't
1: mind. <laughs> no, absolutely. Please do. And I mean, what I like about it is that you can customize, you know, you're given this chess piece, and you're like... And it's kind of procedurally generated because it's just like what ship lines does it have and what's the centerpiece and et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, OK, so I've got a cyborg bishop with a, you know, Tommy gun. What do I do with him? You know, and um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then you're like, OK, well, you know what? I've got this um, knight over here that happens to um, have squid legs and a pike and a sniper rifle. What if I took his sniper rifle and gave that to the guy instead of his Tommy gun, that might be a pretty interesting Bishop. And then you've got your Bishop with the sniper rifle, that cyborg Bishop with the sniper rifle that you're sending around instead. And you're like, I made that. He's <laughs> he's, he's my special, he's my special guy. He's so good. <laughs> and you're like, you know, squid legs, you're okay. But you know, like hang out, guard the base. Thanks. You know, <laughs> you're like, I made you too, but uh, you're just kind of like my remainder pieces, like guard the base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I quite enjoy that.
0: I love it. It's it's a great. Yeah, it's perfect. It really does encapsulate what that 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 gameplay mechanic does. And so, I have a question to you. While we're talking about this, did you ever play around with the idea of having those fleet carriers? encompass any combat roles? Cause like right now they're just sort of, they act as carriers, they bring all the ships there and they sort of just, you know, like for me, most of the time I keep them out behind the fleet, behind the front lines so that they can regenerate the fleet. But they've, you know, at least in my almost 30 hours of it, I have never seen their, they don't have the ability to fight back. They don't have the ability to to gain weapons,
1: right? So there are um officer fleets and what we call strike fleets. And so the officer fleets are usually very far into the game, almost kind of in the last six of the game, maybe, last fifth. You can deep strike in and go capture them, but they tend to be either golems or arcs, and so they're beefy, the centerpiece is, and they're slow. And they may be a little bit on the underpowered side compared to the cost of getting them at this point. That's something that we're kind of evaluating with players Not super far off, but they may be slightly a bad deal. And uh, they may come a little bit too late in the game. Originally, when fleets were first around, we had a lot of officer fleets, some that you would actually start with. And um, half or more of your firepower for that one fleet came from the one central ship. And that fell off. It started feeling a little bit like a MOBA in some ways. Um, yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, it, and and it felt a little bit like Supreme Commander Two did to me in terms of just it felt like there were these centerpiece units that suddenly were the focus instead of all the little ships, and so we kind of took a step back and went, oh, "Okay, those are fun, but those are those should be like a late game reward, and they need to be not so powerful that you just can't get anything done without them," and so they're there. There's um. Uh, I think five different arcs, each with their own abilities and visuals and stuff. And golems—I think there's six of them. I—I I think maybe something like that. Um, oh, that's exciting. Now, 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 I gotta yeah. I feel like I gotta play again. Yeah, they're um they're 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 way down in there. Um, actually, in the lobby, you can turn up and down the number, the ratio of like officer fleets versus strike ones. If you, there, there were some people who were like, you know what, I really like having the officers like whatever they are, the arcs or golems. uh, I really like having that feel of it. It's like, okay, like, I'm not going to tell you not to play that way. We'll make it an option in the lobby where you can say, like, there's way more officer fleets. They're all over the place, and there's not very many strike fleets, so we'll get those instead. And it's just a very different game if you play that way, and that's cool. Without dialing things in the lobby, we're trying to still decide uh, exactly how much to lean on that. But the the Uh small ship large scale fleet combat was always the centerpiece. So kind of wanted to make the basic guys not have guns.
0: While we're on the topic and I don't, I want to interrupt real quick because I just wanted to basically tell you that I appreciate how many options there are for AOR2. I've never, I don't remember a game that I've had that many options to set my game up with. And I think that's fantastic because, you know, me personally, I'm like you, I like a slower game. I like sort of, I like playing it as you intended. Right. So But I know that there are people that like see that and they're like, oh, no, I I do want more arcs. I do want more officer fleets. I do, you know, and stuff like that. And I love being able to change the colors, all these things and being able to change how many factions are in the game. And it it really just helps me tailor the game to my needs and my desires. And my hat's off to you, sir, because I really appreciate that.
1: It was something that, you know, the first game obviously had a ton of options also, but they felt in your face and kind of obtuse there there are actually more options in this game, but it doesn't feel as overwhelming just partly because of how it's organized into tabs and then categories within tabs and stuff like that. <laughs> so that, um, and it, you know, marks what's advanced. And then, you know, you can just kind of ignore this whole like options tab. It's just like, eh, there's a bunch of stuff in there, whatever. And you just play. Or you're like, Oh, what's in here? Oh my, there's a lot in here. Well, let's see if I'm interested in any of this. And so, um, I mean, you can change how scouting works and a bunch of different things. Um, And so, um, you know, we tried to make the vanilla experience, so to speak, the one without a whole lot of tweaks on it, um, be something that would appeal to most people where they don't feel like they need to go in and change a bunch of options to make it acceptable to them, but to where they can, if they, A, get bored of the vanilla experience or B, Um, just, you know, I wanted to be a little slightly more MOBA feeling for some reason, go for it, you know? So, yeah, and we added the quick starts in so that people wouldn't even have to see that screen with options at all and could just get like prefab things. And one of the things that's on my list to do for a free base game update is to make it so that when you're starting a quick start, you can then, instead of like choosing it and just going that you can choose it and hit edit and then have it just pop you into the big lobby with the quick start pre-populated in there. And then whatever else it is you want to change, like whether it's the map type or up to AI difficulty or a whole bunch of different things, if you want to, you can make those changes and then just go. And that way it's um, like starting templates that you can modify further versus either being locked into something or doing, you know, really freeform stuff. So, so that's on the, on the schedule. People have been asking about that. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Can we go back to something real quick? And
0: yeah, you mentioned that you had a core set of volunteers, which I think is really cool. I think you've you've managed to like bring in people that believe in you enough and believe in Arcane games enough that they're like willing to donate their time in ways that I've never seen really. So there was a few that you mentioned at the the release of AI War Two that seemed to have had quite an impact on game development. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yeah, it's been uh I mean they kind of brought themselves. I mean <laughs> the I, I don't I don't think early on in there was ever a point where I was like asking for de- volunteer developers. I don't think that was something I did. I what I I mean I was asking for people to have like feedback and so forth and I was hoping that people would do like mods or whatever. And, you know, some of the game is intentionally open source, so we had, you know, various people who came in and did like a map or whatever or you know, did a, a faction or something like that. And uh, I was like, Hey, you know, can I integrate that into the main game instead of that just being a mod? Are you cool with that? And like, Oh yeah, sure. That sounds great. You know, the more people see it, that's easier for people to, to find rather than having to go download a mod. There was this one guy that just, I mean, in the first, I mean, the game was three years in development. Most of that quasi public, you know, public to the, Kickstarter backers. And then in the last year, get public to early access folks in the first like year and a half, maybe, I don't know um, about 80% of our like uh, bug tracker reports and suggestions and all that sort of thing came from this one guy, Badger. It's like, man, this guy's like really into it and really, really from a design and critical thinking standpoint, he's like the only one who's giving us like really detailed feedback on like all the releases and he was also one that started working on some uh, mods. And I realized he was like a really talented coder. And at one point, I don't remember when it was, but essentially, as I remember it, we were talking about some stuff. And I was like, would you just like source code access? Because I think you could do more and you could just, I mean, you know, because right now, like there was." certain parts that were closed source that he couldn't get to. And he, so he had to like wait on me or Keith or whatever for a particular feature. I was like, you just want to just come in and do it directly. Like I trust you're not going to run off with the source code or anything. And um, even if you did, people could decompile it anyway. So what do I really care with that? And um, you know, it'd be nice for you to be able to, you know, commit your changes directly versus like having to send them to Keith or I. And, you know, then we commit your changes and your release notes and all that sort of stuff. So we did that. And then he started doing more and more stuff. And then, um, you know, for money reasons and all that sort of stuff, I came back more heavily on the project. I'd been working on something else. And Keith left entirely because that was where we were at. Then after a little while, we had another guy who was, you know, having really, really insightful comments. And a lot of them were oriented around like balance and so forth. And like the numerical feel of things. And uh, I was rocket assisted Puffin. And so I was like, Puffin, would you like just direct source access as well? So you can just update the XML files directly. I understand you're not really a coder, but you know, you're already altering the XML files and sending them to us. Do you want to just do that directly? And he's like, yeah. So then suddenly those two guys became like, a lot of the coolest AI behaviors that are in this game that take it beyond what the first game was able to do AI wise, that's because of them and let's because of Badger coding it and, you know, Puffin having ideas and doing a lot of you know balance tuning and this, that and the other, which maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it really is because if things are out of balance, even in a game like this, it just, they may as well not exist some extent or they're the only thing that exists if they're too powerful you know so they become like a lot of the ships that are there um are viable options because he spent so many times doing balance passes on them and then over time we had more people who would come through and they're like hey i noticed you've got some people who are like helping out can i and i'm like yeah come on in here's source access you know and so there's i don't know like six of them now and they're people who would be just modders on any other game i mean what are they going to do with the source code like worst case i get a bad actor in there they can publish the source code and um you know any game that's coded on an engine like this i know how to decompile the source code from it it won't be very pretty it'd be hard to recompile it but it's there there's no drm in here it's just not like they can make a rogue copy of the game and sell it or you know or like or, or like distributed you know like they're not going to be making cracks for something because there's nothing to crack so It's just like what what am i afraid of like it's, it's something that's not done normally and that's why i think most developers don't do it and why i wasn't inclined to do it initially because it's just not done they're past the point where it's like yeah that's there's not really there's not really a risk to me and there's an enormous upside for all of us and we're collaborating and um the game would not could not have finished the game without those two guys. I mean, bottom line, it just it could not have been done. So,
0: that's really cool. I think like I said, there's few developers that develop that sort of I wouldn't say fandom because I think it's it's more than that. It's like a a faith really that they they believe in what you do. They feel as strongly as you do about your games that they're willing to do that. So, I think that's it's really cool, and certainly they deserve any kudos or credit that they get. So,
1: yeah, And I think that there are a lot of developers who do have the people who are willing to do that sort of thing. And if you look around on, I'll, I'll pick on Stardew Valley for a minute because I love that game. And I'm playing with my fiance like all the time at this point. That game has a really healthy modding community. The modders have put in a lot of quality of life improvements and various fixes. Some stuff is just, you know, cosmetic or whatever type stuff that, you know, is not really required or sometimes it's kind of cheaty. Sometimes it adds a new feature, whatever. Um, These are people working without source code access, kind of reverse engineering the stuff a little bit and then creating mods that have to be installed via a mod loader. It only works on PC because that's where mods live, right? And so if you've got it on a console, switch, whatever, you don't get you can't have any of those mods. You know, personally, I like moving a little bit faster with running around in Stardew Valley. I'm like, that's an option that people added in mods, but it's not in the base game. And those people, I guarantee you, if concerned ape was interested in having those people come in and volunteer, like, you know, put their stuff into the main source repository, which I assume he has. And, You know, have it go through like normal QA and all that. Those could be like official patches that go out on all the consoles and so forth. I don't see why not. Like, those people exist and they're excited, but there's the fear that stops developers from collaborating with their fan bases in a way that turns out could benefit all of us. I think it's something that should be done more. Uh,
0: Yeah, this is something I've preached too much to (laughs) it. Like, as a Perfect example for right now is that in Endless Legend, I don't know if you're familiar with that game or if you've played the, the game, it's, it was heralded for being really cool and it had like a lot of cool, different, unique takes on the genre and like faction asymmetry was like way up there, but the AI was always an issue, right? And to this day, like there, you'll still see negative reviews on Steam because the AI is just kind of trash. And I don't mean this, right. I, I I mean that in the loving, most lovingly way I could say it because I love Endless Legend. But there's this patch. It's the Endless Legend community patch where somebody who is very clearly skilled and has some you know, AI knowledge has gone back and changed some of the values of the AI and has made it drastically better. The game just feels better with this Endless Legend community patch. And I have preached till I'm blue in the face for Amplitude Studios to be like, just take this patch and make it its own, right? Like to, yeah. to maybe... To maybe even approach this guy and be like, "Hey, listen, you've done some fantastic things. We'll gladly credit you for this if you if you're interested. Can you we just make the changes you had and put them in the base game?" And I know that there's some like weird like legal issues there that I personally don't know much about, but I just wish that more
1: more developers were willing to do that stuff. And yeah. I, I Skyrim again, another... is a good example of that same sort of thing. Yeah, and actually, right. there is a precedent for this happening, sort of. There was a guy named Sorian who did um, an AI mod for Supreme Commander 1, and he was really cranking up the AI like enormously. And I also worked on some of his stuff a little bit for um, before I started AI War 2. Oh, AI War 1, sorry. I didn't release any of my stuff publicly. I think I might have sent him a couple of bug fixes or something, but I mostly just added on some stuff for my own playgroup. And, um, they wound up hiring him and he was the main AI programmer, as I understand it, behind Supreme Commander 2 and did a fantastic job. So that led to a job in that case. We've definitely seen modders get jobs and contribute to future titles before other developers. So that is certainly positive. Exactly. They should just take that sort of stuff in if the modders willing as well. So. Yeah, and I, and I know
0: in this case they were they are. So I would just I would love to see that. Yeah. So I'm I've, I've been combing through a lot of the reviews for AI War Two on Steam, and clearly the vast majority of them are very positive. And I share a lot of the sentiments that people have. The, the you know like this game basically just takes it to the next level. That the accessibility is there that wasn't there before. That there's a lot of really smart, truly brilliant decisions made. And and of course I'm 100 percent with you on on all all those great ones. <laughs> sure. So. Thanks. The negative reviews, some of them I actually agree with too, right? So, um, sure. in in my time, and I I don't think that it's worth a negative review, and I hate that Steam does a you know like it's all or nothing really. Mm-hmm. But in this case, there's a I would say that the consistent negative reviews that I agree with are that they're, they're twofold: that maybe the the difficulty is not there that you'd expect, and the UI being something that may need some work. Are those two things that you agree with? And if so, what do you think you'd want to do or how would you address those?
1: Um, The difficulty side of it is a tricky one because um, there are a lot of people who are much, much better at the game than I am. And um, they're much better at strategy games in general. And so one of the things that uh, actually the, 1.05 and 1.06 patches that just went out. 1.06 went out like two hours ago as of this recording. And then uh, 1.05 went out on November 5th, so two days ago from this point. Um, Those both upped the difficulty a lot on higher difficulty levels in particular. um, They made the AI a little more reactive to uh, some things that the players do. And we've got some ongoing discussions on Discord about you know some people have noticed that, like it's too easy to do what's called deep striking where you like skip a bunch of planets and go out there in the first game there was a penalty in this game. we had a supply mechanic for a while and that really didn't feel right and um, so we took it back and nobody was ever really complaining and a lot of people who were doing early testing, either they're just not at the really upper end of the skill level graph or they uh, were focused on other things, whichever direction. at this point we're getting, a lot more feedback now that we've launched from people who are very clearly on the upper end of the skill level uh, graph, and for them, um, they're finding holes that nobody else was finding before, and so it becomes kind of an arms race where we go, "All right, that's cool." Like, I don't. Um, it's unfortunate, like I, in, in in one sense, in that I wish that you know 1.0 launch was fully ready for those people, but it's like they had a year or three to come in and give feedback and they're the ones that are skilled enough to find it and i can't help when those people show up they're the one they're the only ones that can find that because the only ones that are good enough to play at that level and so um it was already beating the pants off of the rest of us that were playtesting it regularly enough that we went yeah this seems hard enough i guess and so, you know, there's, it's impossible for me to dispute that it's not hard enough for the people that feel like it's not hard enough. Clearly it's not. And so for those ones that are engaging with us in a positive way, they're giving us feedback on here's what I'm doing and I'm winning because of this. And we're going, okay, cool. How can we thwart you? And they're, uh, t- they're actively, especially on Discord, actively discussing that sort of thing with us and um, helping to kind of design counters to their own play styles, which is what happened with the first AI I as well over the span of its five years. And so I think that will disappear with time as an issue. And I think some of it is already starting to disappear because um, there were some pretty, in retrospect, obvious cheese, especially in the economy with like, there was a, there was a loop that people get get, get into to like get like ridiculous amounts of metal and, uh, energy by buffing a economics st- command station with levels on the back end. And we nixed that on um, uh, 1.05. And so I don't have a whole lot of feedback since then on exactly how much it's gotten dif- more difficult. There's been a few people that have gone, "Oh, maybe this got a little bit too difficult on like difficulty seven. And I'm like, Oh, well, all right. And we, so we walked a little bit of that back <laughs> A little so – it's, it's an ongoing kind of back and forth that happens. And um, and honestly, as of like right this instant, I don't know where we stand. We may be in a pretty good state for the really high-level players, but I think they need more time to see if they can find another exploit that's cheeseable. And if they do, then we'll work on that one. Um, there's not any – there aren't any – this particular moment, I'm not aware of any obvious cheese – Uh, tactics that people are able to use. Um, I'm sure people will find some new ones and we'll deal with those when they do, but um, all the ones that people have brought up were fixed within like a week or so, I would say. And then as to the interface, there's always more that can be done there and um, the planet sidebar is one of those things that I feel like is overwhelming to me and I want to break it out a different way. There's this problem with doing that that some people are just so used to it and it's similar to the first game so i'm clearly going to have to maintain what's there as well as another mode of that sidebar that hopefully kind of breaks things out by categories a bit more and there are some other nits as well with like you know people want to be able to like search for planet names or rename planets You're, you know there's kind of a laundry list of things you know it's different uh, filter modes on the galaxy map to look at things a little bit differently. Um, And there's just, I mean, there's a lot of ideas that kind of come in on a daily basis uh, for, you know, quality of life improvements. We've implemented, I I don't know, a few dozen of them already in the last two weeks. A bunch of those came out in the 1.05 one, a bunch of others came out in 1.03. And so I think that is definitely kind of a work in progress in the sense that we're learning from the different ways that players navigate the UI, I don't feel like the UI is unfinished. I don't feel like it's a bad UI, but some strategy games, including the first AI War, lets you really just absolutely dive into data in like ridiculous numbers, like to a ridiculous number of ways. And we're not, we don't have all of that. We do have like sub screens and so forth out the wazoo for like seeing your metal flows and this, that, and the other and I think that sometimes people that have trouble are actually not using the Intel tab as much as they should because that makes it really easy to find things, and sometimes people instead are kind of looking by hand. And we did in a post-release patch recently add the ability to pin like your favorite Intel things um, by like right-clicking it, it goes to the top of the list. You're like, oh yeah, that's one I really want to go capture yeah, it didn't, later. Didn't know that. I'll have to start using that. Yeah, that's a that's a brand new thing so that way you can kind of go ah yeah that's the thing I wanted to go back and go get. So there's there's things like that which you know it's kind of like okay. So to some extent I can't not agree with it cuz if somebody is feeling that way obviously they've got a point. I don't feel like we released in a state that was incomplete and anybody who's asserting that I feel like is has a kind of inflated expectations. You may feel differently I don't know. That's that's a a judgment call, but I think that the UI is something that we will still, if this game gets, you know, four expansions over two years, I think we're going to be adding quality of life UI improvements, you know, two years from now still, because I think it's a never ending thing of constant refinement and feedback process. So it's tricky. It's just hard to quantify sometimes, People like to approach the game from so many different directions. And it's always hard to anticipate that and what is and what is not going to be intuitive. And we start finding that out as soon as there's a big influx of players, we start getting a bunch of feedback on from new perspectives. And we go, oof, gosh, if only we would known," or, you know, this, that, and the other. So, but I'm hesitant to say words like that because then it sounds like Somebody who's listening who's maybe not tried it, oh, maybe it's not done. Maybe I need to like wait until they finish the UI. I was like, no, it's done. It's there. It's oh yeah. No, I certainly didn't. You know what to I mean? Make, sure make it seem like yeah. No, no. I, that I mean, was it's... not
0: the intention at all. I I I, no. I think it's f- very functional, and in fact, it actually looks pretty decent. I just. I mean, as someone who is maybe a UI snob, I definitely see maybe some areas for streamlining it better, right. but certainly it it definitely does what it needs to do. In fact, it's for for so much all the information that you really need to parse through. It's it's fantastic. I love that Intel tab. It's it helps so much. I go back to it a lot, and the fact that you can now right click to you know send the ones that you want up the most to yeah. the top that makes a lot of sense but yeah, yeah but even like I, I,
1: the tool tips, i mean they can be overwhelming which you talk about streamlining there's some stuff there that we could cut down further we have like the detailed tooltips where you like hold a hold a i think it's control i do it by muscle memory so i don't remember i think it's control you hold and then the tooltip gets bigger and you see more details and it's like there's certain things we should be stripping down on the most basic version of the tooltip and leaving it for the detailed view. And we've talked about maybe having like three levels of detail, like a really stripped down view, a middle view, and like a crazy detailed view. And But are we adding more complexity than we're really saving players? You know, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that we are kind of actively discussing with players on like, you know, where do you think we should like cut down on information and make it, you know, hidden behind something where you have to like hold control and then it shows up or, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's a process that's for sure. And the more people you have, the more opinions you have, which is really good because it helps us refine. I, if we'd had more engagement during early access, which is by no means shifting the onus to players on this, because they weren't engaged because it wasn't fun enough early on in. I mean, that's the bottom line. They went in, they looked at it and went, Ooh, there's a possibility. I'm I'll come back later that's an appropriate response. It's not their responsibility to like help make the game. If we had managed to get more traction with them sooner during early access, then we have been doing that six months ago instead of now. But you know, here we are. So, I mean, even in the run-up to release, until it had that blessing of being a 1.0 version, there were a lot of people that just weren't coming in. Um, they had the game. They were just like, yeah, I'll hang out for the 1.0 version. Like okay, slightly slightly earlier, but okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was one of those. I can't I can't blame them, so I can't I can't blame them <laughs> either. Right?
1: I mean, I've been there. i've I've played a lot of early access titles, and I've also avoided others. so I mean, I can't blame them, and especially with a developer like me, where uh, there's a history of really radical changes during early access, which is to some extent what you want, especially when things are not working all that well. There's certain people that are like, I'm going to wait for all that to settle down, learn how to play it the one time, not three times. Thank you. You know, and I like, like, <laughs> right. I get that mindset. That makes sense to me. Um, but then the, I kind of wish there was like this, this period where you can go like, hey, I'm making a commitment. There's like, we're done with all like the really major changes. I just could really use like, can you pretend it's 1.0 and we like, you know, get feedback on like UI things or little things that bother you that we could streamline like, that'd be awesome. Like for that kind of middle early access, middle access period. I don't know. There you go. (laughs) That would have been, that that would have been nice. Um, like as a kind of middle ground thing, but instead it becomes like a post launch thing and it hasn't like hurt sales or overall perception of the game, but you do have the, you know, for the, you know, nine or 10% of people that are not happy with the game for most of them. That's why or they just flat out don't like the concept or, you know, they don't like the fleet system. They prefer the, you know, complexity that the first game was, you know?
0: Well, Chris, this has been a, an amazing conversation. i got to be honest. I've, I, like I said before, I've, I've always appreciated your honesty. I've always appreciated how open you are. And it's, it's always good to talk to you, and I mean, I've only done it twice now, but each time I'm like, man, that guy's a really cool dude. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to spend almost an hour and a half with me now to talk about your games and to talk about AI War 2, and hopefully we can get back together sometime and go back and look on how AI War 2 shapes up and its journey in a year or so.
1: Sounds good, and I really appreciate it too. I mean, there's uh, it's nice to be able to get into the nitty-gritty and have real questions too that are actually... Uh... You know, you're not dodging around my feelings, which is nice. So we can have a real conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that in a positive way. No, I, uh,
0: no, you're not the first person that said that. I try to be as respectful as possible, but it's like you know, sometimes people want answers, right? Like, and and, and in your case too, yeah. I've, I've always I've always known you to be someone who's pretty. You take that kind of question well, so I didn't I see mean, any. I mean, let's be re- let's it.
1: be real about it. I mean, you know, let's let's have a human conversation, which is what we did, and that's I love that. So I couldn't ask yeah. for anything more either.
0: I really appreciate it. And I do appreciate you answering the way you did and and as open and honestly as you could. And yeah, like it's a, it's a real conversation. It's so much easier to have than, (laughs) you know, you know, just allowing whoever I'm talking to, to, to talk about their game and, you know, there not be any realism behind it. Like I said before, it's hard to see developers sometimes as people. And
1: there's a lot of fear that goes into exposing yourself you know, what if I say something, you know, for a lot of people, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I don't have a legal department or a PR department that is going, you can't say that. Uh, You know, so I can, I I have only my own judgment and I'm not worried about somebody thinking I'm an idiot. Um, They (laughs) will, they will, or they won't. I mean, but I'm not worried about whether they do or not. I'd rather just have a real conversation.
0: (laughs) Well, I like that about you, Chris. So I would like to have you back on sometime and we'll talk about whatever it is you're doing in a year or five months or eight months, whatever, we can get back together.
1: Sounds good. Well, I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate having you on. And until next time, this was Rob from Explominate. I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening.
1: Take care.